Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, the editor of Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today again by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, who covers airlines for both Skift and Airline Weekly. In today's podcast, we talk about uh, United and Delta's earnings and the optimism that executives are feeling about the summer and whether that's misplaced or not, given that business travel has yet to show any signs of returning. We also talk about the uh, the falling travel restrictions around the world that are prompting a lot of airlines to add routes to countries that uh, that allow visitors to enter with proof of vaccination. And finally, we talk about Gate 35X, the not to be missed, well, rather, the, 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 the gate that no one will miss at Washington Reagan National Airport. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er at skiff.com. That's er for Edward Russell. Check us out at airlineweekly.com. A new issue of the publication drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. Hey there, Edward Ned Russell. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today, Madhu? And you are reporting today for us live from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I am. I'm in lovely Tulsa. It's a, a aviation themed trip, but more on that uh, next week after I finish some uh, things here. Yes, just and as a spoiler to our listeners, uh, Ned will be touring Americans MRO and Tulsa, so we'll get a um, we'll get a first a bird's eye view or a first hand report on uh, American pulling jets out of mothballs and all things MRO. That's it's exactly a, right. Next week, something to look forward to. It is a pretty cool facility. Um, I got a know. glimpse of it when we landed at the airport. It definitely looks massive. I look forward to getting a closer look tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I, I always love touring MROs. Um, so, Ned, uh, that's for next week. But this week, it's chock-a-block with U.S. Airlines earnings. Delta kicked it off last week, which we talked which we didn't really talk about, but which we should get to. Delta kicked off last week. United was today. Americans, Southwest, and Alaska, and Spirit are on Thursday. And, um, you know, we, so for the next couple of weeks, we'll be hearing from the North American carriers on how they did in the first quarter. And um, it's, uh, there's a lot of optimism around. Absolutely. Now, I, uh... I, I just it really jumps out at me today. You're, you covered Madhu. Uh, sorry, Madhu, you covered United today. And really, they seemed very optimistic that the inflection point has passed in March and that we're on the way up. I mean, what what gives them the confidence to say that considering every past inflection point has turned out to, to be a you know, false start? Yeah, the goalposts keep moving. And, um, you know, since this pandemic began, as as both you and I know and as our listeners know, Airlines executives have been very excited about an inf- various inflection points. There was an inflection point last summer when travel was ticking up. There's an there was an expected inflection point with, with in the, the year end holidays and when vaccines started rolling out. But Scott Kirby says the CEO of United says this time it's for real. Um, and that's music to the ears of every airline employee out there. That's for sure. <laughs> that that is true. I mean, I guess the, you know one he. One of the reasons he and all of United and even Delta are so excited is they're seeing the booking curve lengthen, which means people are more confident to to plan their travel a little further out. So that's one thing. The other is that uh, summer demand looks like it's really robust so far. I mean, we're we're now in the towards the end of April, so two months from now is the middle of June. So the height of the start of the summer season, the height of the summer season, and they're seeing more bookings 
for that period and are getting pretty excited about it. They feel like there's a whole lot of pent up leisure demand for um, VFR and for for um, vacation travel. Um, so so they're very optimistic. I mean, the question here is, Madhu, have you booked a ticket to see your parents yet? I have not. I have not. <laughs> And um, I have booked a ticket for uh, summer vacation, though, which is so I haven't been on an airplane since uh, since God February of last year. Wow, it's, it's, this wow. is the longest. Um, so I'm pretty pretty excited about that. But back to United. Enough about my vacation. <laughs> um, the 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 so there's a lot of optimism. But the interesting thing that stuck out to me is you know Kirby was talking about all this optimism, how great things are. Um, but, you know, United's pre-pandemic business was one-third business travel, one-third domestic leisure travel, um, domestic U.S. leisure travel, and one-third international. Now, business travel and um, international are down by 80% compared with pre-pandemic levels. So we're talking about two-thirds of the company's business is down by 80%. Those are big numbers, Madhu. <laughs> there are. So there's, op- there, I mean, I, I see the reason, you know, grasp at straws, see the, you know, jump on the green shoots, like be thrilled about whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use about the end of winter and spring is coming. But it's the cynic in me and the economist in me um, is, is just really skeptical that or would find it hard to get excited about, um, about, uh, about, anything when 80% of your business still is, or two thirds of your business is 80% of what it, or 80% down from what it was before the pandemic. I so, mean, it's all messaging, right? Madhu? I mean, he's, you know, Scott Kirby is talking to investors who he yes. wants to buy United shares, raise the value of the airline. He's also talking to employees, even though it's, it's seemingly indirect because he, they want to hear positive words from their CEO as well. That's true. You know? No one so, wants to so hear it is messaging. It is messaging to a point, you know? No, that's a very good point, and I've been called Cassandra more than once in my life. So, um, so I get it. It it's messaging, and after such a grim year, any green shoots are worth uh, worth capitalizing on or, or jumping on. So, so I get it, but it's still it's still pretty grim. I mean, and and we're talking about a company that lost one point four billion dollars in the first quarter compared with you know a profit. And, and we should note that's $1.4 billion after benefit from the federal payroll support program. So exactly. you've got one of their largest <laughs> expenses is 75% covered, something like that. Right. But, so yeah. the taxpayer is picking up the tab for, for what, 40% of their expenses, which is, that's that's a very good point. And it is remarkable. So it's a little hard for me to be as optimistic as Scott Kirby, but you're right. He has to send that uh, his that message to his employees. Um, Ed Bastian at Delta, we didn't talk about this in our last podcast because it was yet to come, but uh, Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, was similar, was a little less optimistic. I mean, he's not the same personality that uh, Scott Kirby is, has. He's much more, um, what's the word you'd use to describe Ed Bastian? Ed Bastian is very level-headed is the way I would present, I would, I would say it. Scott Kirby is, is known for being, you know, he, he tells it as he sees it. And when it's negative, he will tell you it's negative. And when he thinks it's positive, it's positive. But Ed Bastian is much more even keel about things. You know, he he at least tries to be. You know, there's yeah. reserved as well. Reserved. He, there you go. He doesn't have the sort of unbridled enthusiasm that uh, Scott Kirby always seems to have. I like to call it flair. <laughs> call it what you will. Um, but Bastian also was pretty optimistic. But uh, 
but both agreed that business travel is not coming back, at least not this quarter. It's interesting because I'm on a business trip right now and I you just are. flew. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm in that, that less than 20% bucket of uh, business travel that has returned. But um, right. yes. And, you know, the interesting thing, another like little contrast between the two airlines was that, uh, you know, Ed, Ed Bastian talked about uh, the small, medium-sized enterprises that are, that are traveling more. And this is an increasing focus for Delta as their corporate travel, um, corporate contracts have sort of pulled back from traveling. Um, Kirby didn't really get into that, but he just, he did believe, he agreed with Bastian that, uh, that business travel will start to come back after Labor Day. For the, our listeners outside of the U.S., that's after early September. So in the second half of the year, as schools reopen, as workers go back to their offices, people, companies will send employees back on the road. You know, one thing is, it, it, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Madhu, and I, I'm sorry here, I'm pivoting a little bit, but the, the, something that jumped out at me about this business travel return and the businesses of Delta and United comparatively is, you know, Bastion said they, Delta could turn a profit by the third quarter, could, right. emphasis on could, whereas uh, today Kirby said 2022, 2023 that's for right. United, right. I mean, stark difference between the two airlines. And it really, I think, highlights how much more Delta has a robust domestic leisure travel business that United lacks. And well, just domestic business, period, right? I mean, right. if you look at where Delta's hubs are, <clears throat> Salt Lake City is booming. I mean, yes, United has two mid-continent hubs in Chicago and Den Denver. Uh, they would argue three, Houston. Don't forget Houston. Houston, yes. Um, and they're flowing more con connections over those hubs. Um, Delta has the hubs and places where people can cap are capitalizing on outdoor leisure pursuits right now. Like, right. I was pulling, I was looking at Syrian uh, scheduled data for the first quarter recently and noticed that uh, the regions that are back the strongest, these aren't going to surprise anyone, but are the you know, Rocky Mountain West and Florida. And those are two regions or the South, I'm sorry, which includes right. Florida. And those are two regions that Delta particularly uh, excels in. And it, it shows, I think, United is strong in the Rocky Mountain West as well, but United is not strong in the South. That is no. a, a weak point for the airline. So, you know, it's gonna be interesting coming into Thursday when American presents and you know, they, of course, have three strong hubs in the South, Dallas, Chicago and Miami and see where American falls. Wait, Chicago is not in the South. Dallas, Charlotte, and Miami. Thank you very much, Madhu. You're very welcome. Uh, they don't teach the kids geography anymore. Um, hey, hey. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, uh, one other thing that stood out for me, and I think this goes back to a point we were making earlier, is uh, United sees, sees itself as really well positioned and taken – taking advantage of business travel when it returns because of its its coastal hubs, San Francisco, New York, um, or Newark, rather, San Francisco, Newark, um, and uh, and to an extent L.A., as, insofar as anyone has a hub in L.A., um, but also it's robust and huge international network. And that's what Kirby is trying to sell as, as United being ready to win the, the Super Bowl when business travel comes back. But the flip side of that, of course, is that it's those those elements that will make United strong and made United strong before the pandemic are also a great weakness now because international travel is gone, is virtually at a standstill. Absolutely. 
Though, in an interesting point that, that dovetails with something we're going to talk about later, United announced additional service to Reykjavik, Iceland this summer, uh, a country that is open to vaccinated travelers, and they're flying it with a 757. Um, American retired their 757s uh, in the pandemic, and now uh, you they could still serve Reykjavik, but they don't have a small plane to do so. And I, I saw in United's call, Andrew Nacella, the airline's chief commercial officer, touted without naming any names that they still have their small long haul aircraft, i.e. 757s, 767s, that they can use to, to you know, tap these markets as they open uh, flexibly that uh, he said should give them a strategic advantage. So, you know, United, I think, is banking on the fact that they have these planes, they're ready to go as markets like Iceland and Croatia open up to travelers that are vaccinated. I mean, they seem ready to throw planes in and get going and make as much money as they can. And it kind of follows the strategy domestically. We saw with the point to point routes to Florida over the winter and now to some southern and main beaches this this coming summer. So you know, investors may have to suck up some some losses for a longer term just because they've got more national. But they are definitely, uh, like you said, touting that as a strategic advantage in the long term, having those planes, having that network to, yeah. And we're back. So, Ned, we were we, where we left is we were talking about United Strength and International, but let's go back to something you did mention earlier, and that was uh, the new flights to Croatia, Iceland, and Greece. Yes, Greece, Athens, right. Washington, Dallas. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, so there are these these three destinations are interesting because, um, well, Croatia is a new dot on United's map, but and one that American dropped actually. That's right. In that's pandemic. right. So, but, yeah. They stood there interesting because they are easing restrictions for vaccinated travelers or for travelers who have proof of vaccination. Now, we're not going to get into this whole like passport and standards and whatever. But what I'm interested in is all these countries that are easing these restrictions. But also, you know, it's been nothing but gloom and doom when you hear, talk to an airline executive about international travel. That's just, you know. Everyone says that's going to recover in 2023, maybe 2024. So now we're seeing some countries you know, being like, hey, if you got a vaccine, come on over. Where else are you seeing people do this or airlines do this, Ned? Yeah, I mean, we talked a little about United. Delta is is doing the same with some new Iceland flights. But even uh, in, in the Middle East, you've got Fly Dubai adding flights, seasonal flights to Turkey and to Georgia, which... I'm guessing follows what uh, the UAE's travel guidance for for that region, and then the trend Tasman. You have a new bubble left between right. Australia and New Zealand, and that those flights just began uh, this week. So you, airlines are eager to jump on on these these opportunities as they come. I mean, it's it's opportunism clearly, but at the same time, with with revenues so down, both for airlines and for the greater travel industry, it's kind of I would expect no less. Yeah, and you know the um, the U.S. and the U.K. are considering nothing's official yet, and they're just said to be in talks a travel corridor between the U.S. and the U.K. Given how well the two countries have done in vaccinating their populations, um, and that that could take and in, go into effect as early as June. And it's safe to say airline CEOs on both sides of the Atlantic are licking their chops, just ready for this to happen. Um, and believe there's going to be so much pent up demand that, as Scott Kirby said, there will be no available hotel rooms in all of the UK this summer. Now, 
I don't know. I, my mom it seems a little tempt- hyperbole to me, but <laughs> it I mean, does. We'll my see. mom always told me not to tempt fate because uh, <laughs> fate listens and it's never a good thing <laughs> when fate answers the call. Um, so, so that, I mean, it's just uh, so there's that. Um, Pre- French President Emmanuel Macron is said to be uh, open to the idea of a U.S. travel corridor as well with proof of vaccination, etc. So we're and you know now we we talked about uh, Croatia, Iceland, and Greece to three very tourist dependent economies as is, you know France is the most visited place on earth and and Britain is Britain um I statistically <laughs> escapes me at the moment but but um I have but, an you know, image of little Britain in my mind right oh God, now no, I, please, you know no. the comedy yes I know <laughs> I don't want to think about it no well London is one of the most visited places on earth so so there is increasing willingness on or there's increasing willing willingness by uh governments to relax these uh, restrictions with proof of vaccination. And I think the flip side of that, of course, is there's there's fear of losing yet another tourist summer, um, which was devastating to not just Europe, but all countries around the world and places like Hawaii that are dependent on tourism. It's interesting that, that they're doing this because I saw the story the other day, uh, and I, I forget who um, said it, but I mean, Officials are warning of another summer where international tourism is going to be almost non-existent. Yeah. Uh, I really wonder how much these new flights, like, yes, they'll bring some more people in, but are they going to, how are they going to move the needle? Like, what percentage are we going to get back to where it was 2019? That's my question. It, it seems a little early to say that, you know, new flights to Croatia and Greece and Iceland are going to really move that needle back in a significant way. No, I agree with you, Ned. I agree with you. And, you know, you also have to look at uh, um, just just various parts of the world that it's clear the um, the virus is not done with us. Right. There's a, a new surge or mini surge in Japan. Yeah. Um, India. Yes. Uh, India they're, they're, is a they're huge having a surge, public health right? crisis right now. Yes. Brazil, I mean, I think we talked about this last week, the goal in Azul after crowing about, uh, you know, their 2019, their December capacity was the same as 2019. Now have pulled hundreds of flights from their March schedules and, and probably in April because of Brazil's worsening public health situation. Um, the trans-Tasman bubble that everyone's talking about between Australia and New Zealand is, you know, between two countries that have done enormously well in keeping the virus at bay, thanks to lockdowns but have not done so well with vaccinations and this that bubble could pop as will pop as soon as there is any significant outbreak and you know both the prime both prime ministers have said the they'll flights will be will end when um when that happens so it's just hard for me once again the cassandra just says uh it's, it's a little early to be celebrating the return of international travel and I know I agree with you, Madhu. I, I, you know, I think it's the pessimistic journalist in me. <laughs> I'm, I, I won't sing, uh, sing the tune of, you know, it's that we're done with this until we see it happen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, um, it's it's also difficult to say what regions. I mean, conventional wisdom seems to hold that Latin America will come back first, at least for U.S. carriers, then Europe, and then Asia. So speaking of Asia, Delta Airlines announced a new service to Seoul, Korea from Portland, Oregon uh, today. And, and so we're recording on Tuesday. It is interesting, not unexpected considering Seoul's a large hub for their partner. But right. to be adding a route to Asia at this point seems a little early. When and they still the haven't. Re- 
September 9th. So right after Labor Day coincides with Bastion's comment that business travel could come back after Labor Day. So we shall see. I wonder there, how much of that is is um, is cargo. That is a good question. Uh, I yeah, I don't. Uh, what would, what would Portland export to Korea? Uh, Perishables, um, agricultural products. I was gonna say Nike shoes, but then I don't think they're actually manufactured there. So <laughs> oh, right. I mean, uh, perishables, agricultural products, and you know, I think uh, it was Finnair that said recent, you know, in their last earnings call that uh, some of the, their passenger flights are pro- their passenger freight or freighter, as the term is, passenger flights that are operated as freighters are profitable even without passengers on them. So they can have like a handful of passengers on the on the upper deck of a seven eight seven or the passenger deck of a 787 and make their money carrying fish. Does so an uh, airfly 350s, Madhu? 350s, whatever. You know what I mean? I, I meant a small, uh, yes, they do. Fi- and isn't, is Chicago in the South, Ed? Ned? <laughs> touché, touché. So, so, you know, I, I, if, uh, if, I wonder if Delta can be, I'm, I'm just spitballing here. Can they make enough money on that Portland flight if it's carrying fish? I mean, we shall see. They've got Delta's got their Seattle Soul has been operating you know, for quite a while through the pandemic. So we shall see. I just think it's an interesting time to be announcing a, a new route to Asia. That said, they haven't resumed most of their pre-pandemic network to Asia yet. So maybe it's like you said, it's it's freight, it's good carrying goods, and then connecting with their partners' biggest hub. You know, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Asia plays out. I mean, we're, we're, we've got to remember, I mean, with all this exuberance that we're hearing from, hearing from U.S. CEOs or even reading the news, Ned and I are both based in the U.S., reading the news here. I mean, there are countries of the world that have not even begun vaccinating yet. Um, Japan has vaccinated just a small, tiny percentage of its population. And part of that is because only doctors can administer vaccines. Um, so there's a shortage of people to actually inoculate. Um, so there, that's, so, you know, it's, 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 I, I don't know. I think maybe IATA's original pessimistic timeline of 2024 is sounding more realistic to me. I thought it was always sounding pretty realistic, Madhu. So I don't know. (laughs) Well, it did that, you know, it did when, when IATA first said it back in whatever it was last May, um, and then, you know, it's hard not to get swept up in this exuberance you hear from uh, from airline executives every few months about green shoots. So maybe maybe I let my pessimism fade a little bit and turn into optimism. Fair enough. Fair enough. So in the few minutes we have left, Ned, um, I want to switch to something that is very near and dear to your heart and near and dear and reviled, <laughs> I might add, by anyone who's ever flown through one of the U.S.'s most coveted Airports. Yeah. Take it away, Ned. Yeah. Tell me what we're so talking about. So at a, a Washington National, Washington Reagan National Airport, which is the the slot restricted close in airport to, to the U.S. Capitol, just a few miles from the from the Capitol building itself, you can literally see the dome. They opened a new regional concourse today for American Eagle operations. Today being Tuesday, and it uh, the new concourse is beautiful, nice space, all the modern amenities. It kind of blends in with the rest of uh, of the world, but as you mentioned, it replaces arguably the most reviled gate in uh, in the U.S., I don't know, but at least uh, in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, which is 35X. It is a ground, it's essentially a 
bus gate that serves 14 different uh, remote pads. Now, our foreign listeners are going to say this is common. How is this so reviled in the U.S.? I mean, the good the context you have to think about is in the it's a national is a domestic airport primarily, and few airports fewer and fewer airports in the U.S. use buses to to get to planes. So the standard is a jet bridge. And and this gate it was a tiny hold room with fourteen. <laughs> you'd have multiple planes boarding at one time, and and Washington National is is you know high has high visibility among uh, America's political class. You had politicians flying through all the time, and and they would you know literally bring up question. You know it comes up in congressional hearings. They'll ask about thirty five X and what's being done. So. It had outsized prominence for for the number of travelers that ever went through. American told me yesterday that 16% of their travelers passed through 35X, and American is about half the traffic at DCA. So it's it's a fraction of the airport's traffic, but it uh, the gate was was reviled, and is uh, many people are happy to see it go. Though I did speak mm. to the pilot of the final flight out of 35X, and he he kindly described it as unique. Which uh, I think were the kindest words ever said for 35x. That's one word for it. But let's turn, let's broaden this story out a little bit. I mean, National is a very important airport in the U.S. It's one a lot of air, airlines want to serve. Um, the reason it was, they were Washington Metropolitan Airports Authority, um, Metropolitan Washington Airports Metropo- Authority. That's right, it's MWA. Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority was able to open this. Uh, ahead of schedule is because of the pandemic, right, Ned? Exactly. They shaved about three months off the original schedule because the pandemic allowed them to close uh, one of the, the, the closest pier to the new concourse during the, the height of the pandemic and accelerate some construction. And, and with that, they actually save money. The final costs aren't in, but as of February, they were $100 million under budget, which is an impressive feat by any measure, uh, for sure. I mean, it won't be a hundred million at, at the when things are all said and done. Uh, it's even more considering that some of the the authorities' other projects consider they're building a train line out to Dulles Airport are massively over budget. So it's it's sort of two eggs in a storm. But it is like like Madhu says, a larger trend. We've been able to see airports at LAX in Los Angeles, Salt Lake City. Um, other airports accelerate some of these major terminal projects that were already underway before the pandemic began. And I, I'm going to make that distinction clear because there are many projects that were in final planning or design phases at the beginning of the pandemic that have been paused or, or right. on hold indefinitely. So the, the critical distinction is projects that were already under construction have been able to move forward faster. But and had their funding in place. That's, that's exactly the key thing here. Uh, for those outside the U.S., many airport projects are funded by passenger facility fees that are tacked on to every ticket. And if there are fewer passengers, like 10% of last year's traffic, that means you have far less money to pay for an expansion. So, yeah, uh, if, if a project wasn't funded, as Madhu says, it probably didn't get started when the pandemic hit. <laughs> but let's celebrate what it, it I mean, in the best of times, even before the pandemic, this is something to be celebrated that an infrastructure project actually is done ahead of schedule. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, many people are going to be happy to fly through it, though. It's it's still a little quiet. When I went by today, there wasn't a there was not a jet parked at the gates, but it is something to celebrate. And there's some nice new lounge chairs to relax in next time you're waiting for your flight, Matthew. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. And on that note, 
Edward Ned Russell, thank you for joining us. Uh, to all of, all of you listening out there, you can reach Ned, Edward Ned Russell at ER, that's ER at skiff.com. You can reach me, Madhuni Krishnan, at MU at skiff.com. Please check our, our, our site out, airlineweekly.com, and you issue drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. Thanks, Ned. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. 